<clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, I'm going to finish the message I started last week and uh, didn't want to keep you here at 8.30, so I thought you might get a little antsy, so I didn't finish it, so tonight we'll, we'll do that, about the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read Revelation chapter 20. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him and set, shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the, de- the breadth of the earth, and compassed, compassed the camp of the saints about, the beloved city, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And in a title of this, The Rule and Reign of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to look into your word. Thank you, Father, for this blessed book that describes for us how the end is going to be, the end of time. And we know from this book that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign, and we will reign with him. And Father, we pray that as we look into the Word of God tonight, I pray that we allow, we allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts and, and, and allow you to have your will and way and that you would be glorified. May we be encouraged, challenged, and Father, if, we're, if our hearts are not right or ready to meet you, that we'd be convicted and, uh, and, and yield to you and allow the Spirit of God to teach us, instruct us, and uh, bring us to um, the truth of thy Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, just to review a little bit what we uh, started last week, of course, this is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, he's seen coming back uh, to earth uh, from heaven, and the armies of heaven are following him. 
And, of course, that's the, the, the saints that are returning with him to the battle of Armageddon to destroy the Antichrist and his armies. And chapter 20 is really a continued narrative of that uh, where he will describe that he's going to set up his, his kingdom for a thousand years. And, again, I mentioned that, uh, you know, it is a literal thousand years. It's, it's spelled out six times in, seven, in, 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 in six verses in this chapter. There's no indication of why it's figurative. Uh, you, know, you know, when plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense is how, what they always say. Uh, and he will, you know, he will conquer the nations, of course, led by the Antichrist. Uh, to complete his victory, Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren is going to be cast into the bottomless pit and bound or confined there during that thousand-year reign. Verse 3 tells us that. Uh, It's going to be a blessed time. The earth is going to be changed, restored to its Edenic conditions, Um, and, and, and it'll be a time of peace and glory like the world has never known. And, of course, we mentioned also, of course, it's from verses 4 through 6, that the resurrected saints are going to rule with him. Uh, and, of course, you know, we, we mentioned that you know, not everybody is resurrected at the same time. Uh, you know, there's the resurrection of the just and the unjust, saved and lost. And the resurrection of the, of the lost is going to be after the millennium. Uh, when they were going to be resurrected, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But, but uh, you know, you know there, there'll be those, of course, will have been resurrected at, at the rapture when the Lord comes in the air for us, um, and, and then those who, of course, will, will die during the tribulation will be resurrected at the beginning of the millennium and go into the millennium with Christ as well. So, uh, you know, again, there's, there's several resurrections of the saints also. Uh, but so as we consider this further tonight, you know, I want to notice thirdly, as we um, finish this message, there is, there is going to be the release of Satan again for a little season. Now, the question might be raised, and I don't think it's a dumb question. If, if, he's, if, if the Lord has bound him, why he ever let him out again? Why'd he ever, why would he ever let him loose again? Uh, well, and, and you know, God, God has the power to bind him anytime he wants. Anytime the Lord pleases, he could bind him. You know, our Lord could, could bind Satan anytime he desired. You know, though Satan is not bound, you know, we live in a dangerous and wicked world, but we are to rest in God's promises. He is able to protect us. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Bradley, you need to underline that verse and memorize it. But you know, that's not just to men in the ministry. We're all servants of God if we know the Lord. But there's a promise from God gives us that he will protect us. You know, until your earthly pilgrimage is finished in God's eyes, no man is going to finish it for you. Because you are in the hand of God if you're his child. In Jeremiah 
chapter 1. You know, Jeremiah was concerned several times about his safety. He was afraid. How do I know that? Because God told him not to be. God told him not to be. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he says this, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You know, understand that what Jeremiah is prophesying to is an, a rebellious nation who has turned away from God. And Jeremiah is prophesying, God is going to judge you for your rebellion. He's going to bring the Babylonians upon you. And they're going to, they're going to take you captive. And they're going, to, they're going to overthrow our king. And you need to surrender to them. Now, doesn't that sound treasonous? And to a lot of people, that was treasonous. But Jeremiah is saying, this is the word of the Lord. And the Lord said, Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. He said, I have, in verse 10 he says, See, I have this day set thee, I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah, you're preaching you you got to you got to preach because you gotta you gotta pull down. You know, preaching should pull down sin in people's lives and destroy it, so that he, so that God can build fruit in their life for His glory. That doesn't always go over well. And a lot of people, a lot of men are afraid to preach the whole counsel of God because they might offend someone. But the truth is, they really care more about themselves than they care for the sheep God's put under their care. And he goes on in this chapter, in verse 15, says, For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north. That's, he's talking about Babylon. Saith the Lord, and they shall come, and they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, have burned incense unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins, and arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Jeremiah, if you're going to be afraid of the, how they look at you with their angry looks and you change the message, I'm going to confound you. I'm going to confuse you. Now, that's a scary thing. I was reading years ago, trying to remember his name now. He was Presbyterian, but he was a separatist. He used to preach separation from like 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where it talks about you know separating from Belial and, and, and idols and all those things. And he used to teach it biblically. But he got popular. And at some point in his ministry, he quit teaching that and changed the application of that. You know it happens all the time.
But, but God made Jeremiah a promise here. In verse 18 says, For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city. He's one man. Jeremiah, you're like a defensed city and a brazen wall and an iron pillar. Do you ever try and hurt an iron pillar? I mean, tackle it someday, you know. Uh, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee to deliver thee. You know, Luke chapter 10, there's an interesting, and this tickled my funny bone today, so I've got to share it with you. But Luke chapter 10 Jesus had sent the disciples out to the cities of Judah to witness two by two. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says this, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. I mean, they come back all pumped up, you know, and pride themselves how the demons were, were under su- their subjection and they, they could control them and, and they were boasting and all this, you know, and... Notice what Jesus says in the next verse. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from the heavens. Now, that word there, beheld, the best way I can illustrate it is this. Wherever you're somewhere with your parents and you were starting to get a little rowdy and daddy gave you that look. And immediately, you stopped. Because you, know you knew what that look meant. You see, they were bragging about how the, the, the devils were subject to them, and Jesus said, I gave Satan that look. I gave Satan that look. Don't you mess with my children. You see, the Lord could any time he wants bind Satan or give them him that look. So why, back to our question, why is Satan loosed? For a little season. Well, there are going to be people born during the millennium. There are going to be people go into the millennium in physical bodies. And there will be people born. Of course, the millennium is going to be a time of, of, of you, know, you know, Satan's gone, so there won't be that, uh, that temptation and, and the, the, all, the, all the, the things we endure today of, 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 uh, uh, you know, the evil in the world that, that so easily besets us and all that. But, and so, but these that are born during the, or born during the morning are still going to have to decide or make a choice to believe on the Lord. In his notes, uh, Pastor Bob Grew it's one of my teachers at Bible Institute. He has a commentary he, he wrote on Revelations that's 700 pages long. But anyway, 
He says, during, quote, during the wonderful millennial age, any crime and overt wickedness will be rigidly prevented. Although ample time will be provided for such flagrant sinners to repent, they likely will be exposed to capital punishment if they have not done so. Of course, Isaiah 65, verse 20 refers to that, where it says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For a child shall die in a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So, you know, God's not going to put up with, there's, no, there's not going to be toleration for any wickedness. It's going to be dealt with immediately. Capital punishment. But, he goes on and says, Furthermore, everyone will be well exposed to the truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ as their creator, redeemer, and king. They will probably be able to see him personally if they wish, as well as the glorified saints who are more directly accessible to them as their own kings and priests. And that will be us reigning, ruling, reigning with Christ. They will be well instructed in the necessity of substitutionary sacrifice for salvation from sin. They're going to need saved just like we. As each nation must regularly send delegates to Jerusalem to offer memorial animal sacrifices, keeping ever before them the remembrance that long ago their great king in Jerusalem had himself borne their sins in his own body on the tree. And yet, with all these privileges and every possible incentive to believe on his name and to love and to serve him, there will still be multitudes who will reject them in their hearts. These will, these will not be those who first enter the millennium, but will come from the generations that, of those who follow them. These, for the most part, will refrain from overt acts of sin and rebellion, but their re- this restraint for many will be one out of fear and not of love. To men and women who have been born and raised in such an ideal environment, so all that they have ever known is peace and prosperity and righteousness, the stories told them about the former ages by their parents and by their heavenly rulers and teacher, which would be Christ, will sound increasingly fanciful as the centuries go by. Soon those ancient times will begin to seem glamorous with their supposed freedom and excitement, and many in the younger generations will begin inwardly to resent the constraints under which they live. So even though Satan is bound and there are no external temptations to to doubt God or disobey his name, they are not innocent like Adam and Eve in the garden. Their hearts are naturally deceitful and desperately wicked. And as soon as the opportunity will arise and Satan is loosed from from his prison, they will follow him. You see, Satan needs to be loose to prove those born during the millennium. Whether they're true or whether they're just succumbing to the rule and reign of Christ out of fear. And so Satan must be loose for a little season. You see, for the true child of God, it's the love of Christ that drives us. It's the force that, as I mentioned this morning, it's, the, it's the, the energy of our faith. And faith is believing God. It's, it's, it's putting God's word in action. And love is that driving force. For Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constraineth us. In other words, it's what compels me. It's why I go from village to village and city to city, suffering persecution, preaching the gospel. I'm just, the love of Christ, it just drives me. And the burden of the churches and the souls in those wicked cities, that's what drove him. It wasn't that he was afraid of God. It was because he loved God. 
And the love of God will cause us to love his law. You know, Romans 7, 22, Paul wrote, says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. You know, the, one, the song, Redeemed, says, I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight. And yet in this perfect environment, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, people are going to rebel against God when they are given opportunity. You know, that sounds hard to believe, doesn't it? But I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 30. Um, Isaiah 30, I'm not sure I got the right chapter here, 9 through 11. Isaiah 30 verse 9 says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, to the prophets prophesy not unto us, right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get ye out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. And these, of course, these are, this is the days of, of, of Isaiah. They were saying, you know, don't tell us the truth of the word of God. We don't want to hear it. Um, it wasn't really the verse I was looking for. But, uh, you know, but that's, that's, and that's the way it will be with these people uh, in that time. Um, it's another verse I'm looking for, but I can't find it. But anyway, in Isaiah, there's a verse that tells us that uh, though, though favor be shown to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness in the land of the living. Let favor be shown to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. And here during the millennium, they're going to have all kinds of favors from God. They're going to have God living among them, really, in the person of Christ, ruling and reigning over them. A time of peace and prosperity. And yet, there's going to be many who, given the opportunity, will turn away. That's Isaiah 26.10. That's where it is. Isaiah 26, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness in the land of, the upright, of uprightness? Will he live unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord? You know, this, this shows us several things. Number one, it demonstrates to us that man, even under the most favorable circumstances, will fall into sin if left to his own choices. You know, every dispensation that we have in the Bible, and I believe there's seven, you know, there was innocence. And again, in a very favorable condition, man chose to disobey God. And then he knew right from wrong, so he had his conscience. But his conscience did not make him choose right. We know what the end of that was. Every man's, every man. The thought of imagination of every man's heart was only evil continually, and God destroyed him with the flood. And and then God set up human government. And, you know, if you kill a man I'm, by man, dead. But even that wasn't a deterrent enough. Man still chose evil. He came to the place where he sent his son, 
and they kill him. See, man left himself will always choose sin. It also demonstrates that the foreknowledge of God who foretells the acts of men as well as another. You know, God said this is the way it was be, would be. You know, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the heart of man. And it demonstrates that what God says is true and what he says about the future will come to pass. He's going to bring it to pass. Of course, it also demonstrates, you think about this, Satan has been cast into the, into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. You'd think he'd give up. He'd th- you'd think he'd give up, but he doesn't. He's going to try again to overthrow God. You know, the uncurable, incurable wickedness of, of Satan. And then, fourthly, another, another thought that, that uh, he had was, this, this also will, will further uh, justify the eternal punishment of the wicked. They have been given opportunity after opportunity, the best of opportunities. And yet, they turned against God. So that's why Satan must be loosed for a little season to prove those born during the millennium. But I want you to notice further, we see here the dead resurrected to condemnation. In verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And of course, that's, the them is referring to those that are resurrected stand before this throne. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now I want you to notice several things about this. First of all, God's judgment is without respect. Verse 12 says, I saw the dead, small and great. The word small here is micros, where we get a word micro. So it means very small or insignificant. And of course the word great is mega, which means great, you know, awesome. So those that are so insignificant and those that are great are going to stand side by side at the great white throne. You know, God isn't impressed if you're a big shot in this world. He don't, he's not impressed. What he's impressed with is the faithfulness of his people. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writing to the churches 
at Rome about the judgment of God. And he said in verse 7, To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, talking here about save, but unto them that are contentious, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. You know, why did he say to the Jew first and then to the Gentile? I believe this is the reason. The Jews had great advantage over the Gentiles. To them was given the oracles of God. The word of God. They had it. They were more accountable than the Gentiles. Apply that principle to today. You grew up in a Bible-believing New Testament church where you hear the word of God expanded week after week. You are more accountable than somebody that's never heard. But God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you grew up in a church or not. I mean, he cares. But when it comes to the judgment, it's not the determining factor. I want you to notice also, and this is an interesting thing, that they're going to be judged according to their works. Now, they're all going to be cast into the lake of fire. But he says they're going to be judged. If you notice in verse 12, uh, that they're, in the end of the verse, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now go to Luke, and I think to help explain this, go to Luke chapter 12 and verse 27, or verse 47, I'm sorry. Luke 12, verse 47. <clears throat> um. Luke 12, 47, yeah, 47, 48. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Now, this principle is practiced every day in life. Think about it. If I had a business and I had employees, and I had an employee that I had for 10 years and I had one that I had for one month, I would expect more out of the one that I had for 10 years than the one that I had for a month. And rightly so. It it goes back to what I said earlier. That we who have had the word of God. Are more accountable than those who have not clearly heard. Go to Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus spoke of this. Matthew chapter 10. In the gospels. During his earthly ministry. 
in Matthew 10, verses 14 and 15. You know, this is, again, where he sent the disciples out two by two, and they had returned, you know, and, and, uh, and he said to them in verse uh, 14, Matthew 10, 14, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's hard to fathom. What did God do to Sodom and Gomorrah? He destroyed it by fire. But God is saying the city that does not receive your words is, 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 uh, is going to receive a greater judgment than, than Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. Look at chapter 11, verse 20. Chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein, notice this, most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, by the way, Capernaum is where Jesus lived. That's where he made his home. Thou, Capernaum, which are exalted in heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, it is more, shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. See, to whom much is given, much is required. So when the Bible says here that they're going to be judged according to the works... I believe that there are going to be severity, degrees of severity of punishment in hell, of torment. Peter said in his epistle, 2 Peter 2.21, speaking of the apostates who turned away from the truth, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So to, to, to have heard the word of God and reject it will increase the severity of torment in the lake of fire. To reject the love of God is a serious offense. reject the sacrifice of the Holy One that he provided and to try to do your own thing is a serious offense against a holy and righteous God who gave everything he had for our sin. But I want you to notice a third thing here. This judgment is an eternal sentence verse 14 and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire you know this is an eternal sentence 
you know, there are those who teach that there's annihilation. You know, you know, once you're cast into hell, you just, you know, you just cease to exist. Well, look at verse 10. It says, The devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. Now, this verse is after the millennium. It's after the millennium. After Satan had been loose for a little season and led astray uh, many of the nations of the world, and, and, and then he's cast in the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are who have already been there a thousand years. And they're still there. They're still there. You see, the life of man is eternal. It is either eternal life with God in heaven or it is without God in the lake of fire. Hebrews 1.8 tells us that God's throne is forever and ever. And that's the wording it uses to describe the lake of fire. It's forever and ever. In Matthew 25, 41, and verse 46, says, Then shall he also say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. See, it doesn't matter, it isn't, doesn't matter whether you're born again or whether you're lost. You're going to live for eternity. You're going to live for eternity. That's why Jesus gave us the words in Mark chapter 9 and verses 42 through 48. Mark chapter 9 verses 42 to 48. These solemn words, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into, into hell into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into the hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And what he's saying is, look, if there's something that's keeping you from coming to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by all means, by any extreme, get rid of it. It is not... It does not compare, it has no value compared to an eternity in a lake of fire. I mean, you better go through life without an eye, without a hand, without a foot, and go to hell. You see, the judgment of God is eternal. And he will, be your, he will be your judge. Either he's going to judge you at the judgment seat of Christ, 
or he's going to judge you at the great white throne. It is he is going to tell you and I what is going to happen to us. And it's all dependent on the choice we make. You know, and I believe, this is just kind of a side note, but I believe it'll be Christ on that white, white throne. Timothy tells us that the Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that he is going to judge the quick and the dead at his coming. And the dead refers to the unsaved. It'll be the Lord Jesus Christ before whom we will stand. If you're not saved tonight, it'll be the Lord Jesus Christ before whom you will stand who will still have the pierced hands and a wounded side and pierced feet and have to cast you into hell, the lake of fire. Those hands that were pierced for you. If you do not have his life abiding in you, truly repented and chose to believe on him, the sentence is eternal death, damnation, torment. You know, Jesus gave a parable. I mentioned this sort of last week. But Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 22 about a man who had a wedding for his son and invited guests. And a guest came into the wedding was in the wedding without a wedding garment. The interesting thing is, the guest without the garment was left into the wedding by the servants. You know, there are people who get into churches who are lost. But the king discerned that he didn't have a wedding garment. That wedding garment is a picture of the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account when we choose to receive him as our Lord and Savior. You know, we need to have his righteousness imputed, or it means really to be credited to our account. To be clothed in his righteousness. To be in, in, and the, the word the clothed here means to be endued in. The idea of is sinking into a garment. And, and really the, the picture is sinking into a garment where you disappear. And it's not you anymore. It's the garment. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's his life that is manifested in your life. That's the wedding garment. But it must be received. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. He gives us the right, the authority to become the sons of God. It's all of him. It's all of him. The question is, are you ready to meet him? 
Are you ready to be examined by him? You know, we, we will not escape his, the eye of him with whom we have to do. We can fool people, but we cannot fool God. So are we ready? Are we prepared? There doesn't need to be a fear. Just come to Christ. Come to Christ. As I think one preacher said, there's no reason or no need to fear hell. It's not compulsory that anyone go there. Because God has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, to have life eternal. Let's pray.